Hey friends, welcome back to The Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me for this week's message. Today we are looking at the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which has become one of the most popular and favorite songs for people to sing at this time of year. But it's become so common that sometimes people can sing it without thinking about the, what the words actually mean. Today, we're going to look at the story behind the song and what is trying to be communicated to us so that we understand the importance and the meaning of what Christmas is all about. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The classic Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, was written by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was the 18th child of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. In all, they had 19 children, but nine of those children died in infancy. Charles was born prematurely in December 1707 and appeared to be dead. He lay silent, wrapped in wool for weeks before he started to move and grow and develop. As he grew up, Charles joined his brothers and sisters each day with their mother, Susanna, who knew Greek, Latin, and French, as she methodically taught her children for six hours. Charles then spent 13 years at Westminster School, where the only language allowed in public was Latin. He added nine years at Oxford, where he received his master's degree. At Oxford, Charles and his brother John Wesley and some of their friends formed the Holy Club. They celebrated communion weekly and observed a strict regimen of spiritual study. Because of the group's religious discipline, which later included early rising, Bible study, and prison ministry, the members were called Methodists. In 1735, Charles and John Wesley became missionaries to the American colony of Georgia. John as chaplain of the Rough Outpost and Charles as secretary to Governor Oglethorpe. Shot at, slandered, suffering sickness, and shunned by the governor, Charles and John returned to England after one year, feeling like they had failed as missionaries. In May of 1738, Charles had a conversion experience while reading Martin Luther's volume on Galatians while he was sick. He wrote in his diary, I labored, waited, and prayed to feel who loved me and who gave himself for me. He said, I now found myself at peace with God and rejoice in hope of loving Christ. Two days later, he began writing a hymn celebrating his conversion. 
John and Charles Wesley started traveling all over England, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to large crowds. While John was known as the great preacher and organizer of the Methodist movement, Charles was known as the great writer, poet, and hymn composer. Charles Wesley quickly earned admiration for his ability to capture the universal Christian experience in memorable verses. <coughs> he was said to have averaged 10 poetic lines every day for 50 years. He wrote 8,989 hymns, 10 times the volume of the next closest candidate, Isaac Watts. Charles Wesley could conceivably claim to be the world's greatest hymn writer. He composed some of the most memorable and lasting hymns of the church. Hark the herald angels sing. And can it be? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Love divine, all loves excelling. Jesus, lover of my soul. Christ the Lord is risen today. Soldiers of Christ arise and rejoice the Lord is King. The compiler of the massive dictionary of hymnology, John Julian, concluded that perhaps taking quantity and quality into consideration, Charles Wesley was the greatest hymn writer of all ages. As one historian put it, the early Methodists were taught and led as much through Charles Wesley's hymns as through John Wesley's sermons and pamphlets. Hark the Herald Angels Sing first appeared in 1739 in the collection Hymns and Sacred Poems. The carol is based on Luke 2, 8 to 14 which says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The first verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing is about the excitement of hearing the angels announce the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The Israelites had been waiting for 1,000 years since King David ruled their nation, 
for the son of David to come and be restored as the nation's king. They had waited over 1,000 years for the Messiah to come and make things right. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament, all of the teachings of the Torah, and all of their sacrifices and worship rituals had been pointing them forward to this very moment. They were pregnant with anticipation and joy to see who this one-of-a-kind baby would be. Verse 1 is about the incarnation of the Son of God coming to us in the flesh. It is a powerful invitation for us to worship him. Because of the announcement of the angels, we are invited to respond. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. This is not just a personal invitation to us. It is also an invitation to all the nations of the world. Jesus came to transform our governments, our politics, and our social systems. He came not only to change how we treat each other individually, but how we treat each other as societies, as cultures, and as countries. Jesus' birth into our world would change the injustices that withhold opportunities from innocent people, that treat individuals and groups of people unfairly, and provide access for everyone to the true King in heaven through his Son. Jesus' birth started a ripple effect that has been transforming our world into the kingdom of God. Though it's sometimes hard to see the progress being made, this force of God is unstoppable. And we proclaim our joy at the launch of this life-changing, world-changing, cosmos-changing reality. It was all initiated with the birth of Jesus that was announced by the angels. The second verse is a meditation on why the angels and the nations sing every Advent and Christmas. We sing because Jesus is the eternal God, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. We sing because this eternal Son has become human in what we call the Incarnation. The Son of God added a human nature to his divine nature, becoming both human and divine at the same time. No other religious leader has ever been like this. We've had a lot of human religious leaders who've taught many helpful lessons. But Jesus is unique in all of history. He is the only figure who is 100% God and 100% human at the same time. In verse 2, we sing, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. 
pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In the second verse, Christ is worshipped by the hosts of heaven, which is seen especially in the book of Revelation. Christ is everlasting or eternal, an idea expressed in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The phrase late in time probably refers to the lengthy wait the Jews endured while anticipating their Messiah and the long absence of any prophet in Israel. There was a 400-year gap between the final writings of the Old Testament and the birth of Christ. It's been about 400 years since the pilgrims came to America. That's a long time for people to go without hearing any words from any prophets or any fulfillment of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. It would be easy for people to feel like God had forgotten about them or that God was either unable or unwilling to keep his promises. But God had not forgotten his people. He wasn't unable or unwilling. He was simply waiting for the fullness of time, waiting for the right time. And as often happens, the right time arrives as a surprise for us. We often don't anticipate when the right time for something to happen is going to be. God surprises us with how long he appears to wait to act sometimes. And he surprises us for when and how he acts when he does. We don't control God. While the Bible tells us a lot about God, there is no book that can tell us everything about God. God is always partially a mystery. Some things we won't understand until we stand in his complete presence in the new heavens and the new earth. But for now, God continues to surprise us in how he moves. And when he acts, just like he did when he surprised his people with the birth of his son Jesus to a poor young couple in a common barn, far from the lights and attention of the big cities. It was almost like God was sneaking into our world quietly, where people didn't know what hit them until after the fact. Verse 2 speaks about Jesus' virgin birth. This was prophesied about in Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. This verse echoes John 1.14, which says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It also reminds us of Philippians 2, 5 through 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used 
to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We are reminded of everything that Jesus gave up to come to earth, to live among us. To our great surprise, our king came as our servant, not being impressed with crowns or robes or rings or any of the trappings of power. The most powerful people in the world are the people who aren't impressed with power. They are the ones who don't flaunt their power and who don't ambitiously seek power, but who graciously give their power away to those who don't have it. They don't use it to build up themselves, but to build up others. And so we sing our praise to God in verse 2 because he shocked the world in how he came and how he worked quietly and underground until the unstoppable force of his mission traveled all over our world, changing the lives of the most unlikely people in the most surprising and unconventional ways. The third verse of this great Christmas carol sings, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In this third stanza, the name Prince of Peace comes from Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Both the title Son of Righteousness and the image risen with healing in his wings come from Malachi 4.2, which says, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. This verse outlines three reasons for Jesus' birth and life on earth. One, to conquer death. Two, to bring resurrection of the dead. And three, to offer rebirth. Another title, Desire of Nations, is from Haggai 2.7, which says, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. When Jesus was born, God shook the nations, and God continues to shake the nations of the world today. The notion that Christ dwells in us is reflected in passages like Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. 
The third stanza is a meditation on the benefits of the incarnation. We sing, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, because Jesus gives peace. We sing, hail the Son of Righteousness, because Jesus gives the righteousness of God to sinners who believe in him. We sing light and life to all he brings because Jesus opens our eyes and resurrects our souls into eternal life. We sing risen with healing in his wings because Jesus heals us from the sickness of our sin. This is a song that seeks to communicate the power of Jesus coming into our world and the change that his presence brings about in our lives. This Christmas carol tells us that Jesus was born, that man no more may die. He was born to raise the sons of earth. He was born to give us second birth. Christmas gives us a reason to celebrate and to sing and to rejoice no matter what else is going on in our world. It's now been 185 years since Charles Wesley wrote the words to this great song, which was put to a melody composed by Felix Mendelssohn. The words of a British man combined with the music of a German man has become a global favorite that we sing every year at Christmas. It's the powerful combination of words and music that bring the message of the birth of Christ into our heads and our hearts. It informs us intellectually and moves us emotionally. It causes us to reflect quietly and to rejoice publicly. Hark the Herald Angels Sing has become one of the favorite Christmas carols for many people, because it powerfully proclaims the truth of the doctrine of the Incarnation, and it personally expresses the benefits of Christ in our daily Christian lives. The one who was born on Christmas Day causes us to be born again as his sons and daughters in the faith. God bless. Stay safe. See you next time.